It is Monday, and it is time to talk about all the hoops that we can mm-hmm. in a hour, maybe a little bit plus, period. Yeah. It is FRPC Hoops. I am Vince Carter. I am joined by the Canadian Bomber, the Canadian Shaman, the Canadian Bill Simmons, and the Canadian Zach Lowe, and also... <laughs> forever be known as the Canadian son of Loretta Curran, Nico Miatello. What's up? Uh, how did you enjoy the two games? And what just happened this weekend with you, buddy? Uh, not, not a whole lot. I was, I, I had to do some work, but I was able to watch both games fully now. And, uh, it it was really exciting. The first game, I think, kind of went as we all expected. Uh, Denver came out afterwards, though, and acted like they played like shit the whole game and could have been way better. So that had a, a few people thinking that this series might be a sweep. But uh, this Heat team doesn't get swept. And uh, apparent Denver thought they didn't lose at home, but that changes quickly when you're playing against Jimmy and those boys. Part of the conversation that I want to have is that I think I might be over the whole, oh, we just didn't have enough weapons or we we didn't have answers or whatever. The one thing that the Miami Heat is showing us is that if you play with a, a just a effort level mm-hmm. and you play together, and you really do cut out the ego, and that—that's the key point. Mm-hmm. Cut out the ego. Now, all—all all these guys that they have on their team, you know, we—we we talk about the undrafted guys, the two-way guys, the G League guys, and you know, and then Jimmy, obviously, mm-hmm. Mr. Butler himself. Bam is the lunch pail guy, you know. So I mean, it's really the type of team for it. But mm-hmm. you would think in a playoff series when everything is on the line, that whatever was going on in the regular season, collectively, you put that aside for the common goal. Now, we live in a real world where that doesn't go on. Mm -hmm. But it's painstakingly obvious now that that is really the case. Yeah. It's really the case. Yeah, I I think, like... These teams who act like they have enough power, but not quite enough when they load up on these superstars. The thing we're realizing this playoffs, and I think it's the new trend of the NBA, is depth is becoming more valuable than star talent. We've always been in a league where a lot of these guys are really, really good. And they come into the league and they have talent but they don't necessarily get developed right well now every team in the league has stronger development staffs than they did 10 15 years ago so these guys are are continuing to improve and with the league making these active moves against super teams it's deep teams like the this heat team this nuggets team or even the celtics and lakers who made the conference finals who are Kind of proving themselves to be okay to be that squad. 
the problem is is that you got what is it what's the dude's name hightower highsmith he would highsmith yeah okay bro but that's not come on man he's not like a like, the depth i wouldn't consider him one of those he's guys. played an intricate role in some of these games yeah yeah but i i think it's the fact that they go like eight deep with respectability i think that's the type of depth that we're talking about more so Duncan Robinson was unplayable for like four months of the season. He was, but now he's playable (laughs) because they figured it out. Spo. No, no. Spo sat him and said, well, if you can't, if you can't play defense or try Mm -hmm. and know your assignments, you are unplayable. And this is a guy that they gave money to. Mm Mm-hmm. This is what we see in other cities where, oh, we can't bench him because we paid him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go down in Miami. That situation is where it is different. And my question is, why is it different there? Why is, it, why is that not the standard around the league? If I put it this way, I'm always about the player getting the bag. Mm-hmm. But once you get the bag... All this nonsense about, oh, I, I don't feel this and the offense is not flowing through me and da-da-da. Dude, I need you to get out there and play and play the position. Mm-hmm. You know, unless it's just completely wrong where it's like, obviously the coach is making a huge mistake or whatever. Yeah, Those happen. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about, oh, well, you know, I was – I was promised these many minutes. Now I'm not getting them. And my role has changed. And I don't feel that. Yeah. We paid you. Mm-hmm. This is how we're going to win. We need you to fill this role. Yeah. Well, Point I, blank. I think that's that's a lot easier to accomplish when you have a team like the Heat have assembled this year. Where can I ask the question why I'm so sorry to cut you off? Here's I'm old, I get it. Yeah, I understand. People are sitting here probably like, Why is this old man talking? Here's my problem why is it like that? Why can't I? Why couldn't why couldn't the Lakers bench D'Angelo Russell when he was an absolute no show? Because we're gonna lose him, we're gonna lose him this offseason anyway. Well, why are we worried about? What D'Angelo Russell is feeling in his heart when I'm trying to win a series? Why do I care, Nico? Uh, well, I that's I, I guess the reason I was going to go into that it's easier for the Heat is they've put together a squad of undrafted guys on the lower end, and those are guys who are in positions where they are grateful for basically the fact that they they have a chance in the NBA. You look at a guy like Duncan Robinson, and the fact that he's making that money, he's already made it. He didn't realize, I don't think, that he could have been this level of role player beforehand, but this heat system was able to turn him into such. And now he's he, he believes in the heat culture because it's what's developed him to the point he's at. That... That doesn't exist at quite the same level with players who are drafted super high. 
when you talk about the thing about D'Angelo Russell, I think the reason you don't take a guy like him out of the game as often and stuff like that, and you keep him in the starting lineup, though I agree they should have abandoned it um, earlier than they did. The reason you do that is not because you're going to lose him in the offseason. It's because you're going to lose him in the series. He's going to... If you play D'Angelo Russell in a bench role, he's coming off the bench, and he's trying to get all the shots that he didn't get all all in a shorter period of time, and he's going to take your offense out of the game completely. And now you've went from D'Angelo Russell being a slight negative on your team to D'Angelo Russell just losing you every game. So Okay, so Nico, you just hit it. We're in the playoffs. And D'Angelo Russell is worried about his value next year. Uh, right? I I guess. Well, okay. I got to get mine because I well, have a shorter I, window. I, I'm not even sure if it's that he's worried about his bag next year versus that's just the player he is. Even when he's not in contract years, it's the same way. Like it was that way even back to Brooklyn when everyone was a lot higher on him than they are now. That's why he was a dumpster fire in Golden State because he was basically forced into that role all the time. And it, it, I, I don't know for whatever reason, it, it doesn't work with him well. But the, the answer to this problem in the first place is you don't trade for D'Angelo Russell. You get in, in that Russell Westbrook trade you don't need to move all this stuff around. You just take Mike Conley back. And this team is all of a sudden in a much better position than they ended up being in. I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around this. <laughs> that we're we're in a in a state where people, players, are making millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Life-changing money, right? Oh yeah. Like if we if we were making like four hundred, and listen, I understand it's a different ball game, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "Well, you don't understand the pressures of millionaire." Okay, I understand all that, but here's the deal: you are an employee of a franchise. Yeah, they are paying you money. Mm-hmm. We are. Okay, in the regular season, definitely understand. Do do the things you kind of need to do. But in this playoff series, Man. I need you to be. I don't even more about it's... execution, doing what is necessary to win, instead of blowing assignments on a regular basis, getting beat. Off ball because you lost man and ball. I just um, I don't even know looking why. lost on offense. Uh, why is like, it acceptable in the regular season? Like it shouldn't be I, acceptable, I just, but we see a completely different brand of basketball in the regular season. We do, than we do yeah, in the postseason. Of, of course we do for sure, but like this, and it's kind of like hockey too, dude. Those dudes lay out during the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, and I'm not trying to be like that, but go look at some take between like regular season hockey and postseason hockey. We got dudes like laying down for like 
125 mile per hour slap shots and like taking it. Yeah, bro. You know, in in like the uh, the charges that are taken in the uh, playoffs, the you know, just you know, like Jimmy Butler plays harder. Yeah, in the playoffs, basketball is one hundred percent. Okay, he plays harder in the playoffs. Basketball is definitely way different in the playoffs. That wasn't that wasn't what I meant at all. It was like if you're playing a brand of basketball that actively contributes to your team losing games. And if I play you in that certain role, it ensures you play that brand of basketball. You're just not on my team. Like, I I think that's what the solution of this whole thing was, was just it, it was a case of the wrong guy in the wrong situation. I understand why it looked good at times because D'Angelo Russell looks good at times. It's when you start him. And he's playing well early in the game. Then he's playing well the whole game generally, unless he hits a few and here's the thing. shots. Then he's gonna chuck. Here's, here's the crazy part. I actually like D'Angelo Russell's game. I really do. I think he plays heady. I think he can play smart at times. Mm-hmm. When he is like in control, when you don't see him taking like the the twenty seven footer with eighteen seconds on the clock. Because he's feeling it. That's the heat check. Not who he is, though. Like, he's been the heat check guy. I understand that. His whole and I know you can't, but that's what I'm saying. Why? We ask the same thing about Westbrook. Why can't you play this way? Why can't you play this way? And I understand that we're going to probably continue to ask this question to the end of time. Well, I saw Michael Malone take out Michael Porter Jr. last night with 4.50 to go. We're going to bring it all the way back to Miami and Denver. So, second game, uh, Denver is down for in the third quarter. Miami just puts a stranglehold on the game. <clears throat> now, they're still in it. Um. Michael Porter Jr. has just blown assignments left and right all throughout the game. And at about 4.50, Michael Malone has seen quite enough and said, you're done, we're good, and we're going to go a different direction. And now you saw the run that happened towards the end of that game doesn't mean that Michael Porter Jr. is not going to come back game three and he's not going to put up, you know, a good game. Actually, Mike, Michael uh, Malone has been profu- profuse about his praise of MPJ throughout the playoffs with his defense. Even if he's had a subpar offensive game, if he's played good defense, Michael Malone goes out of his way to, you know, bring that up to the reporters. I just think Michael Malone hit the reset button with MPJ. I thought that was a good call, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But I like the coach who says, hey, you know what? It's not happening. It's not happening. You need to 
see the game from the bench for a second, and, and we'll we'll get you going next game. But we got to win this game. So uh, you can go sit on the bench. Come here with me. Sit on the bench. <laughs> and we'll see you game three, buddy. Yeah, I, I understand that <laughs> side of it as well. And I, I do like when coaches take players out of games when they're just not playing well. I, I, however, didn't necessarily like the MPJ benching as much. I think earlier in the game, they could have started to use him a little differently. And I think the unit that they, they should have went to to kind of solve this Miami thing, they were a little afraid to run. I think you need to try putting MPJ at the four against Kevin Love. And forcing MPJ to guard or Kevin Love to guard MPJ, and then throw in uh, Bruce Brown in with KCP in the starting lineup, or after last game Christian Brown as well. He played excellent defense throughout the game. He played a really good fifteen minutes there. I I think there were other ways they could have went about it where you weren't putting yourself in a position where the last five minutes of the game, one of your three best players wasn't on the floor. I get I get why you want to do it and why in that, that game it, saw, it felt like it was dictated to you that you had to do it in that circumstance. But I think there was a way to avoid it. And I'm just... I, I, I didn't love the adjustments Mike Malone made in the last game. That being said, I still think he's one of the best coaches in the sport. And he's going to find a way to maximize this in game three. So I my alarm bells aren't ringing or anything at coming off this game, obviously. It was uh, a win by a narrow margin that was really aided by Miami's big run to start the game. And then also KCP... I, he he might have been a guy I could have seen getting a few less minutes because there were some pretty big clutch fouls in the beginning of the third and the end of the second where KCP was just jumping into shooters' landing areas and giving up three-shot fouls repeatedly. And in a game that you ended up losing by by a basket, that that's unacceptable. I think Michael Malone is the type of coach where he's a video guy. And the the film breakdown, mm. all of this will be revealed. I also think that Michael Porter Jr. is a video game guy. I think he's a reset guy. I don't think he's a guy that you can... I think he has a little D'Angelo Russell in him where when, when it goes a little bad... I'm not saying he falls apart. I'm just saying like the confidence is shaking. And I think that Malone goes, you know what? You, if your confidence is shaking, I don't have use for you on the court. I, I, I get, I understand having that kind of view, but I, I see MPJ a little differently. He does definitely play worse when, he, or like his play will cascade downhill. I see that as well, but I think the difference between MPJ and a guy like Russell is as soon as MPJ sees one shot go in, he's back to his zone, and when he's out of his uh, rhythm, 
he's not going to go like D'Angelo Russell and try to chuck every shot down the court. But um, Nico, he got- the possessions in the in the finals are of the utmost importance and I cannot and have that's you why you don't bench your taking, players. The- I can't have you in the game if you're not mentally in. I, I, I can't have I you in the game when you are playing at a level where people are blowing by you. They have no business blowing by you. That That's fair, but like... If people are blowing by you and there is, and he's one of your best players and there is an easy adjustment to make you be guarding Kevin Love, who's not going to blow by you at all, like I I just think that's another thing you should you should have looked at earlier in the game. And it even like it would improve your perimeter defense getting Bruce Nico was he was he aggressive on on just rebounds? Was he aggressive on rebounds last night? Uh, he had six boards in like twenty some minutes. He he was near where he is in just about every other game. I seen him crash a board a few times. He didn't. I'm not trying to say he there's so many. Better. There were so many box outs he missed. He, there's so he, many. He did. He did miss so many bo- bo- box outs, and he got backdoored a couple times. But again. These are issues that are solved when you are playing against a slower big in a guy like Kevin Love. Like, the, 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 these issues aren't the same anymore. You're playing a completely different ball game. I just, I'm just thinking that there were other solutions to this problem than what they ended up turning to. We actually couldn't disagree more. Yeah. And we had this on on the call before. So mm-hmm. I get it. I understand. Let's let's do let's pivot to one thing. Um the the play mm-hmm. of one Gabe Vincent. Yeah. Because he was excellent. Jimmy did not have he had clutch baskets, he had moments that impacted the game, and he was an integral part of them winning. Yeah. But Gabe Vincent gave them what they needed. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is it superstar by committee? And then like, so Gabe Vincent last night was like Isaiah Thomas, like circa what twenty? Really? What was that? Twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen? Yeah, what was that? They just got guys who can get hot. Like Gabe Vincent had an incredible like second half. But in the first half, it was Max Struess. It was Max Struess who was keeping them in the game. He had four three cut by Boston, by the way. At one point, yes, sir. Um, there, there was opportunities to be had for those guys, and they went out there and they found them. That's another credit to Spolstra. He's got this team kind of locked down. I, I really like what they're doing. I, I just. Man, that's the the perfect organization right now. I mean, if you go through the timeline of just like Pat Riley, mm-hmm. like just Heat, we're not talking about Lakers, Knicks, none of it. <clears throat> just the Heat timeline. Yeah. And what he's done. Mm-hmm. It's kind of remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. He stole Lamar Odom. He did. Stole him. That was like a contract, like snafu deal, right? Mm-hmm. 
He got Dwayne Wade, which let's be honest. Like when we look we look back fondly, and I'm not saying Dwayne wasn't a, a, a great player. Mm. We didn't know that Dwayne Wade was gonna be this guy, like when he came out. No, no, of course. Did you know? Yeah, right? Yeah, he went fourth. You know, so and then he was like, We're gonna we're gonna get Shaq. Mm-hmm. Right. Um by the way, the other thing that was awesome. You know he left the Knicks with one year left on his contract, right? No, that's Yeah, there's a whole thing to that. He left, Thank he wanted you. he wanted he wanted ownership Ooh. of like partial ownership of the Knicks. He thought he had did it did enough. And that's actually how he got in a sense, released from his contract because they became they made him like president of player personnel and they gave him an ownership stake in Miami. Now I think he dissolved some of that in two thousand six or something, mm-hmm. but that's how he got to Miami. And then if you look at all the pivot points that Pat has done since he's been in Miami. Yeah, there's probably a couple things you can question. And there's a couple there's a couple things you can question with um with uh with other organizations. Bob Bob Myers uh you know, I live here in Los Angeles. I mean, Palinka uh some of the things that uh Frank has done with the Clippers, whatever the case may be. But overall, the record for Riley in Miami is absolutely stellar. And there's a good there's a good thought that once Red Albrock was kind of pushed out when the whole Patino thing happened, you can say that Riley picked up the mantle from our back and just kind of carried it to where we are right now. You know, he was the one who got LeBron and got Bosch and you know, combine that super team together. And now they pivoted to this like more depth role, finding dudes in the G League. Duncan Robinson was I don't know what he was, but there there it was. Yeah. So <laughs> Riley is ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. just a and I have no idea what the next thing that he's going to do because yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that because there's a couple things that I want to kind of – there are probably some scuds that I need to get off. Mm-hmm. But anything else that – oh, the zone. Can we talk about the zone for a second? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. They didn't use it a ton, mm-hmm. but it, it did affect the Jokic-Murray pick and roll. Yeah, definitely. And I've never seen... Well, okay. I have not seen anybody effectively bother that. Mm. Since it's really beginning. Since, like, the 2020 bubble season or whatever. Yeah. I love Spo doing that. Just just him doing that was just... Yeah. Really impressive. They they had a great defensive switch. As much as I talked about how Mike Malone should have made the adjustment on Kevin Love, 
the fact that they decided to play Kevin Love in the first place was absolutely excellent. Having him out there on... Uh, also, like people were talking about the Kevin Love start even in game one with the idea of him defending Jokic. But they put him out there on Aaron Gordon and he can defend him really easily. Uh, Bam didn't have to do his whole Romer thing nearly as much. They just kind of let Jokic cook. That was the the recipe to win. He, you limit that guy to four assists, you're winning the basketball game. So I <clears throat> I think that the did you see some of the facial expressions towards like, like mid third quarter yeah. on him? There, he just seemed very just disgusted that he weren't wasn't able to pass. I've never seen a superstar so upset that he wasn't able to share. Yeah, there. <laughs> Man, there was like an all-time reaction image from Jokic that is going to circulate around the internet forever in that game. Um, I I absolutely loved his reaction, and I liked the way they played him. This is how you play the best players in the world. You let them get theirs because like one player can't outscore you by himself. And if you put him in a position to to do that, you're you're likely to win the game. That's kind of another reason why I think the MPJ sub was a negative because, like, you were struggling to create offense outside of Jokic. Why bench one of your best offensive players? Yeah, yes, legendary yeah. image. I uh, yeah, for sure. I. I, yeah, I I lost my train of thought, but having MPJ out on the court gives you more more solutions offensively than they ended up having because it the the zone not only the zone but the personnel choices were pretty perfect for uh, Miami in this game. Well, like I said, I mean. On all of it, I think we got two really good coaches, two really good teams. Um, and I guess the one thing we can say about Spo is that his willingness to, to move off dudes, especially after what Caleb Martin did the last uh, series, for him to just move off of him and keep it moving like nothing happened, that's the kind of the wild card that I guess these teams aren't expecting because we live in a world where, you know, you get to a certain status in the NBA and it's just kind of what you are. You, you are this and, and people are kind of like, we walk around you a little bit different and, and what have you. And listen, I'm not saying it's not deserved. I'm not saying that it's something of, uh, you know, there is some unbalance to it, though, meaning that there should be some buy-in by player X who's getting paid X amount of dollars mm-hmm. to do everything he can to allow that team to be successful. And you might not 100% agree with the position or the role or the stance that you have on the team. But your effort in that role should equate to the amount of money that you're being paid. 
Yeah. Like, if you got a job to do, I can't go and to my job mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, I don't feel like doing this today. Uh, I don't have the, uh, I just, you know, it's been a rough day. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I, I have a eulogy that I'm writing. I got other stuff going on, but I, I can't not, not edit. I got to edit. I got to produce shows. Yeah. I can't not do these things. Yeah, I, I, I you know understand that side of it, definitely. It's just when you get to this level of money, not just in the NBA, in everywhere, and you have that kind of power over an organization, the rules start to change. And it's not necessarily a good thing. But to a certain extent, this is a team problem as much as it's a player problem. Because you you can be the heat that that's an option you cannot stand for players who are going to affect your organization in this way that's an option that's available to you so go and try build that team instead of relying on superstars who you have question marks about that's just it i i understand that it's the player's responsibility but just like don't get players who can't fulfill the responsibilities you ask of them or be willing to move off them. And that's, uh, uh, again, a thing that the, the organizations who made it deep in the playoffs this year have done. We talk about the great ones, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about LeBron. We talk about Giannis. Mm-hmm. Put, Jokic. put Jokic in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. The one thing that those dudes do is their effort, what they give to their team. Mm-hmm. Maybe not LeBron as much anymore, right? Because he just can't. Yeah. But, like, he's he's doing that for the team, too. Right, because he's trying to conserve his energy to to be the less best LeBron he can be. It's not like he, which we're seeing Jimmy do this this postseason, mm-hmm. right? We're seeing him do it. Yeah, LeBron. But the great ones do that blueprint for the, yeah. what older players need to do going forward, and certain people move into it a little too much, like the Kawhis of the world, and <laughs> like. I understand avoiding injury to a certain extent, but when you don't play that much and then you try to jump back into NBA basketball and you have all these injury concerns, you're going to get hurt again. It's just what happens. You need to be the LeBron and you take maybe a week off during the season because you have a sprained ankle and you go... And put yourself in a hyperbaric chamber for the whole time. Like, that that's acceptable. There is a level to this game management stuff that makes sense. But the, some people take it too far. When your best player is your hardest worker? You, you, that's a championship team. That's well, how you build them. I'm speaking to you, Trey Young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm speaking to you, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. 
Yeah, but you're not the best player, by the way. Yeah, no. Just so you know, there are very few teams he's the best player on. And just I so you know, Carl, that too. I don't know if they gave you that memo or you didn't see it in the in the inner office email. But Anthony Edwards is his best player on that on on your team. He, so he's talked about sure. that. He's talked about that before too. Like All right, I just want to throw that out there. Um. Oh, Luca. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Luca, talking to you too. Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm astonished. I think this this playoffs has also taught me another thing, Nico. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna uh, hit the button because I'm about to drop a bomb. Okay. Here we go. Uh, your best players from here on out are gonna be Euros. Oh. It's going to be international players all the time. By the time we get to 2027, not only will the MVP be just Euros, Mm -hmm. the first two uh, first all-NBA teams are going to be Euros as well. Complete Euro. I I wouldn't go that far. I'm being being super serious right now. I I understand that the the European game has definitely – past the american game in some ways building players out the thing the american game has over it still is just the sheer quantity of athletes and players they have coming in consistently and that's why you're gonna repeatedly see these american players on all nba teams i think but here's the thing here's here's the little secret weapon Mm -hmm. here's the one secret weapon canada Oh yeah, Canada is the secret weapon to the athleticism and the whatever. Yeah, for yeah, the Euros, but... I'm cl- including them with the Euros, kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, Canada Canada runs things a little differently than America, but not quite to the Euro level. And that's that's the direction I was trying to go in. Is like a lot of this has to do with athlete development, especially at the young age, and. There's a lot of negative talk about AAU systems and the way they play basketball, but I'm not. It's even, terrible. But I I'm not even sure that's necessarily the problem. The biggest problem there is, to me, is the over indexing and the over commitment to these young young kids who want to be basketball players and. You you throw all your money and all your attention behind who is the basketball player at 10 years old, 12 years old, and they go into these elite high schools, these elite systems that funnel out NBA talent, and they're proven. They work. But the problem is you are not getting the best athletes in these programs at the youngest ages what you're doing is you're getting the people who hit growth spurts the earliest. And we've seen the same problem in Canada with hockey. And it's kind of being ad- addressed now to a certain extent. I think the biggest issue is you need to have way more work on the fundamental game at lower levels. So these people learn how to just play 
basketball properly and then we need to start going after the prospects once they hit high school rather than once they hit junior high like you look at tiktok now and there's like elementary school games being broadcasted and like there's elementary school basketball players celebrities and like that's that's not the way to build these successful young men it's just it's not what it is I was talking to a dad that played <clears throat> played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, has has kids that are playing multiple sports, but they do play basketball as well. Yeah, he hates this time of year mm. because he goes into gyms and he's seeing dudes throw up like. 30 33 footers like coming coming down yeah and that's he's seeing lack of coaching he's seeing just lack of shot selection he's seeing um people not setting screens he's seeing people not oh, that's in all basketball you know all that everything like that he's 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 saying he's telling his son like listen you can do some of this but unless you're like the top of the top of the top of the top, you're not gonna be able to do any of this in the NBA. Yeah, they're not gonna allow you, they're not gonna allow you to do it. So you better work on these things too. Mm-hmm. Well, work on your foot movement, marrying the guy, yeah. you know, you know, fighting over screens, whatever case may be, mm-hmm. whatever. He said the AAU style of play and these dudes playing like five games and three he's like this is this is dumb and what they're what they're repeating they're just repeating bad habits yes that's what he told me he was like these guys think they're stars they go to these colleges and they've been treated awesome and then the the coach treats them awesome at the place because they've been given some sort of Mm -hmm. guarantee that they're gonna play and they're going to be allowed to do these things. I'm looking at you, Armani Bates. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh yeah, you yeah. That's sit a there. Example. You sit there and you do all this stuff, and now you're about to go into the league, and you're not going to be any of these things that you thought you were going to be. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to play defense. You're going to have to rebound. You're going to have to <laughs> yeah. set screens. You're going to have to box out. Yeah, it's going to be really hard to do that at a, like 150 pounds or whatever he weighs. So, so then the NBA has to fix all the habits. Yeah. Or to say no, and we're getting to a point where we're get we're getting yes we're not getting 20 European guys and but we're starting to get people from the continent of Africa. We're getting, oh, yeah. we're getting the Europeans. Canada's here, mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned. Um, Australia is is coming up yeah. as well. So if we start getting seven to eight guys, you know what we're kind of getting now. And you think about it, we we talked about this. I think we talked about it on air, and we talked about it off. Jokic is what, 27, 28? Yeah. 
So what? Five, six years of because it's it's not like mm. not like he's gonna lose a step. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And his, <laughs> the computer brain is gonna get better, which is gonna be even scarier. Yeah, and and the shot has just got better every year too. So that's yeah, that's I mean, gonna be terrifying going forward. The these European players are definitely making a huge impact on the sport. And I think to a certain extent, they're changing the game. It's as much as like the AAU style of basketball doesn't teach good habits because it, it doesn't. It's straight up. There's no arguing against that. There, there are positives with the freestyle of play, just helping people figure out what they can do. The problem is when you're playing five games in two days, all of a sudden that gets ingrained into your head that that is what you do. That's not what you can do. That's who you think you are. And that's the biggest problem we have out there. I like I like the way AAU basketball lets like multiple players act as ball handlers and like figure out different spots about shots on the floor and figure out like sometimes give these guys freedom to jack from 40 but you let them jack from well 40. that's the that's you that's what the father was saying yeah. that's what he was saying he's like the bigger guys are not he said he likes that they are learning the guard stuff mm-hmm. because that's what they're teaching them he's like but no not not one post move not one like okay this is how you set a screen this is how you roll hard. Like I wonder if that'll change because of the way the NBA is changing. I think like for a long Can the NBA get involved and just get it down to the to the youth level? Can we start well, building academies so we start playing basketball yeah, the right way? Because I'm really tired of this. I think I'm tired. Well, I think they're thinking about that. And realistically, that is what they are doing in Africa. They have NBA academies out there. And they're teaching those guys how to play basketball the right way, not not the AAU way. It's I I do think that's that's an eventual step in this, but it's just what I think the post game will become more emphasized going forward in AAU because we're seeing it more in the NBA. I think like what we saw from these AAU teams, which have just got increasingly more insane over the last decade is an attempt to replicate the Warriors. Everyone was just trying to be the Warriors. Even the NBA fell victim to that. Every team was trying to build a pace and space system with a lot of smalls. And then eventually they realized, hey, maybe you can only do that if you have two of the greatest shooters ever and the best like switch defender slash playmaker of all time. Like Draymond is a unicorn uh, to himself. So now that we're kind of seeing a move more in that direction, I I expect AU to continue in their ways and try to replicate the NBA more. Now that there's more things for them to to replicate, more styles of play, I think we'll probably see that that part of it change at the very least. The other parts, I'm hopeful, get improved upon, but it's not uh, at that point yet. No, no. All right, Nico. I know there's a couple like little new items that we need to get to. Um, 
So where where do we need to start at? Uh, there's there's a LeBron thing out there, I guess, and some other stuff or whatever the case may be. Yeah, well, I think we could touch on on the LeBron thing primarily. Um, we 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 have a young Mr. Kyrie Irving campaigning the Mavericks ownership to make a trade for LeBron James, um, so they can make a big three with L- him and Luca. Uh, well, that's not happening, <laughs> first of all. There's no package that the Mavericks could put together that would entice the Lakers in any way, unless they're including Luka in the trade. Um, so that that obviously isn't going to happen. But I, my first takeaway from this is that this is Kyrie's PR tour, and his way of saving face when he does eventually leave Dallas this offseason. And he's going to be like, well, I wanted them to trade for LeBron and they didn't do it. What what was I supposed to do? I, I, I kind of see that coming at this point. Who are you? Who are you, Kyrie Irving? Like legitimately like the last okay <clears throat> the last couple of years mm-hmm. all of the issues that have come through and around Kyrie Irving have been self-inflicted yes okay you got traded for Dorian Finney-Smith in like a first round draft choice. Mm-hmm. Like that should tell you where you are in the pecking order in the league. Yeah. Bro, you are not in a place to start throwing out mandates. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you understand who you are and where you are. Mm-hmm. In like whatever the pecking order of the NBA is. But I'm gonna tell you, you're closer to last chance you than you are to making demands about who and what the roster construction should look like. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. Say outlandish things on TikTok, IG, or whatever. <laughs> Be yeah. completely dismissal dismissive to recorders and call them pawns. Do what you do. Stay out of... Oh, by the way, you're also the number two on your squad. Why are you talking? Uh, yeah. Well, Why are you talking? Why is he talking, Nico? I... Explain to me why Kyrie Irving, who blew up the blew up the Celtics... Blew up the Nets. Yeah. Now, he didn't get a chance to blow up the Mavericks yet because we don't know if he's going to get signed to a contract, which, like you said, you're thinking he's looking at this as, well, you didn't get LeBron, so I may as well move. Mm -hmm. Who are you to be asking anything at this point? I... I (laughs) Asking Kyrie Irving who he thinks he is, I think, is something that's transfixed the NBA. There's, 
entire time. He knows for a fact he might have the best footwork and ball handling in like for sure in the NBA right now, maybe in this generation of players. Um, he he's absolutely rare as far as that's concerned. So a lot of people in the league respect him. It's one of those things where certain players in the league, when they try and evaluate other great players, they have a hard time acknowledging, like, for example, we'll compare Kyrie Irving to Rudy Gobert here. Rudy Gobert is a guy who's been repeatedly like all the NBA level defender. He's been one of the best defensive players in the sport and he garners little to no respect from his fellow NBA players because they think, oh, he's just tall. He he doesn't really do anything on the floor. They watch him play and they think, oh, everything he can do, I can do. When NBA players watch Kyrie Irving play and they watch him dribble the ball and the way he moves his feet, they're all like, I can't do that. There's no chance I can do that. So Kyrie must be a great basketball player. He also has the legacy of that shot to live on. I think those... How long ago was that? Uh, it's It's been a, a 26... 2017? 2017. Yeah. It's been it's been a long time since that, but those two things give him a level of respect around the NBA that I think inflates his ego on top of he already has a bit of an inflated ego. I don't want to try to get into his head too much, but that is my my perspective of it, and that's what gives him that that feeling like I am a superstar in the league. Well, also, a third thing you can add to it is LeBron's constant praise early in his Cleveland tenure. Him talking about how Kyrie was a future MVP of the league and all all that other stuff. Like when it, When it comes to his peers, Kyrie is incredibly respected on the court. And I think that has given a sense of grandeur to... Not maybe not even necessarily Kyrie, but Kyrie's camp as a whole, and it's it's had a negative impact on his career. Hmm. Okay, Nico. So yeah, <clears throat> if Kyrie wants out of Dallas, yeah, yeah. let's say because he's he's an unrestricted free agent, right? He sure is. Yeah. Okay. Where, oh, where <laughs> could Kyrie go? Well, uh, as you can pick up, Vince knows where I'm leading, and the two of us got into this pretty pretty heavy before the pod. Um, and Wait till I, you hear this. Yeah, no, I know how, I know how this sounds. But the, the team I look at for Kyrie, if hypothetically he is testing free agency, hypothetically the Lakers situation doesn't work out because they're not willing to play ball. And by the way, I want you nowhere near my team because yeah. I flat earth and all this other. Yeah. I don't know. Well, um, the team I look at that has cap space 
and has an organization that Kyrie absolutely could not rip down from the inside is the San Antonio Spurs. I I think they're... It sounds so funny. Go yeah. ahead. I think they're in a spot where they kind of have freedom to go one way or another because they have their building block, their future franchise tentpole. And around him, they've got a bunch of role players. So if you make a move for a guy like Kyrie Irving, you're really not risking anything other than the cap space. And the cap space is isn't a concern necessarily if you're not planning on building a championship roster in the next year to two years. So Kyrie Irving, I think the upside of a player like him can shoot you to the roof. And if ever there was an organization that's going to hold a guy like that in check, I think it's going to be an organization like the Spurs with a guy like Pop who has worked with Kyrie in USA basketball before. And Kyrie definitely has a level of respect for him. So that that side of it, I think, is hypothetically the best scenario for a guy like Kyrie. But I have to say, though, another part of the reason why I pick out the Spurs as the team is because all these teams with cap space are bad teams for the most part and they're bad teams with no real infrastructure to rely on and you can't bring Kyrie into that situation because we've we've seen what happens the spurs are are exempt from that list they're they're almost in this weird category by themselves where i i'd really like them to bring in a star of some kind with this cap space they have right now and just they take the shot now because you got it and there's very a very limited downside to taking that shot there's a downside his name is Kyrie Irving that's the downside yeah definitely is Kyrie Irving that that's that's the downside because you can give him all the platitudes about what he does on the court, and he has the best dribble package that we've ever seen by far, whatever it is. But you also know that with Kyrie comes the off-the-court situation. It, it goes without fail. That's who he is now. And that's what you got to deal with. And there's nobody I would want to pair less than Victor Wimbayama Mm -hmm. and Kyrie Irving. There is no pairing. This is literally Hancock when Charlize Theron met Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And like they can't somehow the I don't know the end of the world comes or they blow up yeah. I don't know that's exactly what happens yeah I do not want this kid to be sullied by flat Earth theories 
Uh, I feel like any of the inoculation theories. Man, I feel like just about everyone in the league, even the people who really respect Kyrie, will make an active effort to distance themselves from that part of Kyrie. Even KD. I don't want that kid going through any of that. I I don't want him to answer questions about Kyrie. I don't think there's anything he's necessarily going through in that situation. Like, answering questions about Kyrie is something I think Victor Wembanyama is more than capable of doing. This guy has shown himself not to be nothing but the most professional of professionals. And he's going into an organization full of only professionals with so many stars throughout history who stick around and come out and help this squad. Man, if Kyrie Irving's acting up, call Tim Duncan. He'll stuff him in a fucking locker. Like, there's so many things that they they have, so many resources to put around a guy like Kyrie Irving and just... Put him inside a bubble, essentially, within the organization. If there's any place you can take Kyrie out of the public eye, it's in a small town like San Antonio with guys around him who are repeatedly capable of like holding in this style of behavior. And also in, in a spot where if they need to move off him, they can move off him. They can send this guy to the bench. I, I think... The only scenario, the more I think about this, where something like this would happen would be a one plus one, I think. And it might be one of those mutual one plus ones where it's like a player option, but it's non-guaranteed. So the team can choose to get out of it and or the player can choose to get out of it. And that might put Kyrie in a spot where in next offseason... He can just team up with LeBron where where LeBron ends up wanting to go. But I <clears throat> I I think I think it's an option that exists and it, no one's talking about it because it's crazy and I'll tell lunch. But I, I I think it's something. Twitter, uh it is at Nico F R P C it is. It is not front at front runner PC. Yeah. Whatever comments that Go you have, PC, you can find it all over socials. <laughs> whatever comments you have for this particular statement, mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, you can send them to me. I I will read them. I will. I, I will then send them to Nico. Yeah, um, deserved. Jesus. This is such a bad idea. Like, I can't literally believe this is, like, the brainchild. This is, like, you put this in your head and said, this is this is good. This I is think good. it could be. I think it could be. I just, there are almost no organizations where I'd want to roll those dice. There I, needs to I, be such a confluence of factors in my back pocket for me to be willing to roll the dice with a guy like Kyrie, and I wouldn't even put that in the ether. The organization that, that I think has the right no. confluence of factors. Mm-mm. No, no, no. Sorry, there's literally uh, 
if they brought that to him before the draft, they say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna try to win right now with you. We're gonna put you like we're gonna have games on TV starting right away because mm-hmm. we're gonna build something around you. It's gonna be you and Kyrie." If I'm winning by Yama, I'm going like this. Do not pick me at one. <laughs> I'm pulling some John Elway type stuff. Um, I don't want to be anywhere associated. And here's the thing. I went on this podcast like a couple months ago. All accounts off the court. Kyrie is an awesome dude. Awesome. Giving. Genuinely cares about people. All of this. There's some sort of disconnect with his team and his ownership group and his coaches where he feels he's bigger than what he actually is and he believes that he can take the time off playing, doing his vocation, by the way. Yeah. A leave of absence during the season. If there's any organization that can teach you not to do that shit, though. That's that's the only point I'm trying to make here. I, I they're gonna be teaching Wing by Yama to be a superstar. They don't have time to be teaching yeah, Kyrie Irving basic the, things. That that's not gonna be the same guys doing that though. The the guys who are handling the life and actions of the players are not the guys who are on court handling how to make a player better like Victor. Like Man, I I don't know. I I just I see I see multiple potential benefits. So that's why I like that move. FRPC, we hear talk about um, thoughts overtakes. Mm. Um, albeit that this is a thought, and obviously you put a lot of work into it. I I can't. I am flabbergasted by this. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe this might be the worst opinion I've ever heard you speak. Well, well this is the type you were talking about Justin Bieber hate back in the day. Yeah, well, that was that was but this is way worse of me. awful. Yeah, this is awful. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that on the chin. But <sighs> I, I still, I, I see merit to it. I think we're gonna have to shut it down. Off that I I, yeah. I I need to get my mind right. Um, again on Twitter, um, fr at frontrunnerpc mm-hmm. at Nico frpc. Mm-hmm. Um, we do, this is a this is a video medium as well. There'll be clips of this podcast up. There will be. On YouTube, and this will probably be number one. This will be the number yeah. one. Yeah, that's this right here. This, this nonsense that he's talking will be number one. Um, my quote about euros will probably be number two, maybe. Yeah, we got a few things in here. We got the the extended uh, conversation about MPGA too. Yeah, so. Also, let us know if you want to see the whole podcast on YouTube as well. We're, we're trying to play with this. And again, well, we're trying to build the community. And we want to give the community some, you know, 
I mean, we don't have a bunch of community, but we have a, a fair mean where there's people in different countries who listen to us. Yeah. There's people across the United States and Canada who listen to us mm. or whatever. We're just trying to make it catered towards you guys a little bit or whatever. So put some input in. If you want to see like the full podcast on YouTube, I have no problem putting it up. If you just want to see clips and then you want to listen to us casually as you go into work, that's great too. So mm -hmm. I'm here for all of it. Definitely. So, any any parting words other than the nonsense that you just said about Kyrie Irving? Uh, no, not particularly. We'll be back on Wednesday with a draft episode. I'm excited for that to get started on that, to going towards the draft. We're, we're walking into one of the best classes we've seen in a while, and I think we're both going to unveil our top 10 boards. So, get excited and get ready for that one. But besides that, I think... Thanks for listening and have a great day. I got a hot Taylor Hendricks take that I'm going to get off on Wednesday. It's going to be just ridiculous. So stay tuned for that. And for the Canadian bomber, for the Canadian shaman, for the Canadian Bill Simmons, for this podcast, the Canadian Zach Lowe, and forever the Canadian son of Loretta Curran. RP mom, we love you. We'll be thinking about you, and uh, we'll see you guys on Wednesday. So have a great rest of your day.